Thank you, Matt. Well, good morning and welcome once again to our family Bible hour. Uh, last week we had a lot of our regular members missing and certainly we missed them all. It's nice to see them back again today, safe and sound. So I trust that uh, all went well for you and your vacation was well enjoyed. And I know Nancy's was a, a work week, so she got through that uh, well as well. Uh, last week we had our brother Chris Lee deliver another challenging sermon, uh, this time on the subject of spiritual degeneration, entitled Dimensions of Degeneration. Again, I urge all of you who missed it or were not here for it to listen to it on sermon audio. The message is very relevant for today's state of affairs in the Christian church. And it was right on the mark of what is wrong in our churches today and what needs to be done to correct it if Christians care about their walk with the Lord. This week, we once again resume our studies on the book of Exodus, and we'll be looking at chapter 7 as our main text. And uh, thank you, David, for reading uh, the chapter for us earlier on. So now we have a general idea of what it's about. If you recall in our last sermon on the book of Exodus, we had looked at chapter 6 and saw how Moses and Aaron seemed to be discouraged because of the unbelief and opposition not only by the Pharaoh of Egypt, but by also the children of Israel, who were now suffering even heavier burdens from their taskmasters. We saw how easily the soul begins to despair when circumstances deteriorate and opposition from the enemies of God intensifies. Even men of God can be seriously hindered in their service for the Lord when Satan is brought into the mix. And so Moses and Aaron instead focus their attention on their failures instead of looking at the whole picture and remembering who it was in the first place who called them and told them that there would be serious resistance. But when the time was right, Pharaoh would let Israel go. As we are told in Exodus 3, verses 19 to 20. Now this is going back a few chapters. The Lord said unto Moses, And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. But Moses forgot that promise, it seems. And because of the heat of battle, he now began to doubt. And that doubt derailed his confidence in God's plan and certainly in God's selection of him and Aaron for the job. Nevertheless, God reminds Moses and Aaron of their pedigree in verses 14 to 27 of chapter 6 and that God was going to do all the heavy lifting as we shall see early in the verses of chapter 7. 
But before we get into the message for this morning, let's first ask the Lord for his blessings uh, concerning this uh, presentation. Father, we do thank thee so much for the word of God and especially for the privilege that we have had this morning to gather as thy people around the Lord's table to remember what he has accomplished for each one of us on the cross of Calvary. And so this morning, as we open thy holy pages, we pray that the Spirit of God will once again reveal to us what thy will is for each and every one of us and how we might accomplish it. For we ask it all in thy Son's name and for his glory. Amen. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Well, dear friends, do you understand now why God is doing all of this? Why he has chosen this most harsh and devastating approach to Egypt and its king? Do you remember what Pharaoh said in Exodus 5, verse 2? And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey to let Israel go, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Because of that proclamation, from the Pharaoh's own lips, all of Egypt would now begin, be given first-hand knowledge of who the Lord really was. They would experience personally his wrath, his power, his judgment upon their land and all of their false gods and even his mercy and grace through it all. The Pharaoh in Egypt would all be taught the hard way who the one true living God is, and that there are no other gods beside him. For you see, dear friends, Egypt was a pagan nation, deeply steeped into the occult and false worship, much like our nation of Canada and the United States of America is becoming today. And God would first of all judge their land and their ruler for the abuse and mistreatment of his chosen people. He would carry out the promises that he made to Abraham in Genesis 12 verses 1 to 20 in particular, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, verse 3. And in order to do that, God would have to first of all bring upon Egypt 10 specific plagues, all designed 
not only to judge the people, but to prove both to the Egyptians and to the Israelites that he alone is God. And so each one of the false gods that the Egyptians worshipped would be brought down to naught one by one by the carefully selected plagues, as we shall see. And so God tells Moses and Aaron in the opening few verses that he, Moses, shall be a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, thy brother, shall be thy prophet. What was God telling Moses? How was he, Moses, to be a God to Pharaoh and Aaron, his prophet? I believe what God was telling Moses was this, Moses, I am making you my authoritative representative, my ambassador, so to speak, to Pharaoh. You will be to him a God because I will give you supernatural powers to do wonders and to perform miracles that only God can do. You, as a God, will both be able to inflict these plagues, these wonders upon Egypt, and to also to remove them in the way of judgment. And Aaron, as your prophet, will clearly articulate and pronounce them and threaten Pharaoh with these plagues and judgments. You too will be a visual picture of me to Pharaoh. Just like the Egyptians need a physical reminder of their physical gods, their physical false gods, you will be their reminder of the one true living God. So off you go. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And then in verse 7, we are suddenly reminded that Moses was now 80 years old while Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. And why is this significant? Though Moses was personally modest, meek, lacking confidence in his abilities to do what was asked of him, he nonetheless was properly groomed for the task because he was endowed with the wisdom of life and gray hairs. For 40 years, he learned the wisdom of the Egyptians in the courts of Pharaoh. For another 40 years, he was taught humility, poverty, and the hardships of life in the desert, keeping sheep, which would one day prepare him for keeping the children of Israel in the wilderness. He would one day gain respect for his education from the Egyptians and thereby understand them better while at the same time would not find the wilderness to which he would take the Israelites a foreign place. Gray hairs and wisdom would be very handy when dealing with young and inexperienced hearts who need to be comforted through the trials of life. And so we have two aged brothers, both from the tribe of Levi, both handpicked by the Almighty himself. And regardless of their intermittent moments of hesitancy, discouragement, and even lack of confidence, we will see as history unfolds that the Lord God had chosen well.
Then in the next five verses, verses 9 to 13, we see Moses and Aaron sent back again to Pharaoh, where they performed their first miracle, that of changing Aaron's rod into a serpent. Unimpressed, Pharaoh summons his magicians and sorcerers to challenge Moses and Aaron's miracle, and they too, in some mysterious way, were able to transform their rods as well into serpents. Now, this is very important uh, for us to notice here, this circumstance. It needs our undivided attention. There may be many explanations why these magicians were able to duplicate such a miracle, but only one which seems to adequately fit the circumstance. They were sorcerers. They dabbled in the secret arts and things of darkness. Theirs was the power of darkness and the secret arts, which were strongly forbidden for the children of Israel later on when the law was given in Exodus 20. For in Deuteronomy 18.10 we are told, there shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. These were soul-robbing practices. Anyone who was practicing such things in Israel would soon be put to death. And the reason for that was because the soul that did such things was already doomed to a godless eternity. There was no redemption of any sort for that demon-possessed soul under the law. It was already lost for all eternity. However, the danger now lay in the fact that if they were not removed, that that spirit of divination which possessed their soul would affect the rest of society one by one. God called out the children of Israel for himself. They were his chosen people. They were to pursue righteousness and judgment and flee from the works of darkness. Darkness is the sworn enemy of light. We see today how that has all played out. Our society caters to the forces of darkness. Horror movies abound in Hollywood. Our institutes of higher learning promote the study of such arts, but forbid biblical studies. Our so-called Christian churches have opened their doors to Eastern religions and the teaching of such things as yoga to stressed out housewives and martial arts to children for supposed self-defense. All of this has one result and one result only, to turn the hearts of the people from the one true living God and consequently the possible loss of their souls for all eternity. But notice, though Satan can counterfeit many miracles, which the Almighty does, his miracles cannot endure the test of time. For no sooner had the sorcerers of Egypt 
turned their rods into serpents, then Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, verse 12. And he, that is the Lord, hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And so Moses and Aaron returned to the Lord again, after what seemed to be a very disappointing encounter with Pharaoh and his magicians, and are given their next assignment in verses 14 to 25. They were to return to Pharaoh and his magicians again and perform their second miracle and the first of the plagues, that of turning the waters of Egypt into blood. And they did as the Lord commanded. Now, I would like for us to notice a few things here before we conclude our sermon. This was a genuine miracle of God. It happened exactly as the Lord said it would. When Aaron smote the river Nile, the waters immediately turned to blood, not only in the river itself, but also the waters in the pools and pots and vessels, so that the Egyptians could not drink those waters. And the fish that were in the river died, and their putrid smell was everywhere. And when the scripture says that the waters were turned to blood, they were turned to blood. Many skeptics throughout the ages have concocted some idiotic, falsely labeled scientific explanation for the red waters, denying that they were indeed turned into blood. But again, this plague is in fact very significant. First, because it not only destroyed the physical waters, but also the Egyptians' false god of fertility. They worshipped the river Nile because they derived so much benefit from it. They worshipped it rather than the creator of it. The true source of the Nile was unknown to them, therefore they devoted their worship to its streams instead. And thus God not only punished them, but also their falsely created God. Secondly, notice that the magicians, we are told in verse 22, and the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. Now here indeed is an interesting situation. Aaron's rod had turned the waters into blood throughout the land, and yet there was still some water in a very limited supply left for the magicians to do the same. Although we are not told where they had gotten the waters, which they also changed in like manner, this we can say for certain. It was so because the Lord allowed them to do it so that Pharaoh's heart would once again harden. And isn't it interesting that the magicians chose to do this instead of attempting to turn the waters back to their original state? Now that would have been impressive. But that could not have happened. No one can ever undo what the Almighty brings to pass, not even Satan. There is but one who has all power and authority, 
Only one who is omnipotent, and his name is called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the Eternal Son of God, to whom was given all authority and judgment, and before whom all one day every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We conclude our message this morning with the last verse of chapter 7, verse 25. And seven days were fulfilled, after that the Lord had smitten the river. For seven days the plague lasted, and all of Egypt suffered its consequences, and in all that time Pharaoh's proud heart and stubbornness would not allow him to relent and so much as to desire Moses to remove this terrible plague even for the sake of his own people. When rebellion reaches this stage, it is almost impossible to repent and come back to reason. All of us are capable of such degeneration. All of us struggle daily with that terrible taskmaster called sin, even as Christians. But at the same time, we need to also remember that the just shall live by faith, and that if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord willing, we will continue with chapter 8 in our next sermon sometime in the future. But now, as always, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you this. Are you in Christ this morning? Have you ever yielded your life to the only Savior of all mankind, or have you, like Pharaoh, hardened his heart to the Lord's beckoning calls? Oh, dear friends, the Bible tells us that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. No one but Jesus Christ of the Bible, who has no beginning and no ending, ever came down from heaven, took upon himself the likeness of man, went to the cross of Calvary and offered himself up, as the one perfect sacrifice for all the sins of mankind. No one but Jesus. He and he alone is God's chosen Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, not anyone else, not the Pope, not Joseph Smith, not Charles Russell, not Krishna, not Mohammed, no one else but Jesus Christ alone. And if perhaps you have never genuinely received them as your sin bearer, if you have never believed in the gospel of salvation, then I urge you this morning, while there is still yet some time, tomorrow may be too late, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for this story of Moses and Aaron, and their encounter with the Pharaoh of Egypt. We are encouraged to know that there is none who can stand against the power and the authority of God Almighty.
We thank thee that we are in Christ this morning and all that Christ has, we will inherit someday when we stand in thy presence. But Father, we pray that if perchance there is even one among us who is not certain of that salvation, we pray that today might be their day of salvation, that they might come to him by faith and receive him as their sin bearer too. Part us now with thy blessing, we pray, and if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together next Lord's Day around his table. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen.